Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. An ordained minister has decided to give up God for a year. How the heck do you just up and become atheist after being a pastor? What I'm most worried about right now is figuring out how I can live openly and honestly. I am finally free to be me. I have no idea how to find friends or become a part of a community that's not religious. What does life look like after church, after religion, after God? That's, you know, that, that's it in a nutshell. This is the Life After God podcast, a conversation on the space between belief and unbelief and beyond with your host, Ryan Bell. Welcome to a special edition of the Life After God podcast. I'm excited to share conversations with you from a growing number of professionals who specialize in religious trauma, deconversion, and post-religious mental health. My goal with these conversations is to offer you a diverse range of perspectives, share practical insights you can use in your daily life, and introduce you to some amazing humans who are committed to helping others thrive after leaving religion. My name is Brian Peck, and I'm a licensed clinical social worker in Boise, Idaho, specializing in religious trauma and mental health challenges related to the deconversion process. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to Sandrea Hall, who is a licensed mental health professional in the Denver area who also specializes in religious trauma and helping people navigate life transitions, including support for leaving high-demand religious groups. I met Sandrea online through her Instagram account, My Choice, My Power, which is also the name of her private practice in Denver. I was struck by her thoughtful reflections on mental health and her keen insight into the process of exiting religion. It's been a real honor to learn from her experience, and I hope you find this conversation as meaningful as I did. My goal for these episodes is to expand the conversation about post-religious mental health that includes a range of clinical voices, therapy modalities, and practices you can incorporate into your healing process. You may be surprised to learn that there's a growing number of mental health professionals out there already doing this work. As therapists, we often work with the individual and what's said in the room stays in the room. These episodes are an opportunity to share what we're learning and to provide some psychoeducational content to support your journey. Note, these conversations are intended to be educational in nature and are in no way a substitute for working with your own licensed mental health professional or healthcare provider. As with any conversation that may reactivate past trauma, please put your needs first. This particular conversation is not graphic, but the topic and content may still be challenging for some nervous systems. Healing trauma is a dynamic process, and it's perfectly okay to step back and re-engage once you have more resources available to you. A special thank you to Ryan Bell for creating a context for these important conversations. If you're looking for a supportive post-religious community, please be sure to join the Life After God members group. Now, without further delay, here's my conversation with Sandrea Hall. 
I was really excited to um, to talk to you because I was, you know, I think when you go through a, a deconversion or leave one's religion, it often feels very lonely and yeah. it's really hard to find mental health professionals who kind of know what that process is like. And so I've been slowly over time, um, you know, meeting more and more people like yourself who um, really get that experience and process. And yeah, my, my goal, I guess, with these conversations really is to kind of broaden the conversation around religious trauma and post-religious mental health mm -hmm. uh, to include a range of therapy modalities and clinical voices and and just kind of share the range of options that are out there and and hopefully be a value to to people who are listening. So so I'm really curious. Um, I'm interested in the human behind the therapist, like mm -hmm. what life experiences led you to become a therapist? You know, it's funny. I think um, it's in my blood. <laughs> I, I, I grew up watching my parents work in the community, work in their church. Um, our home had a revolving door where people came and stayed with us um, while they transitioned in life. So, you know, I just saw them always helping people in their own way. So it was a natural, mm -hmm. I guess, evolution of sorts <laughs> for yeah. me to, to get in the field as well. Just a natural natural occurrence, I think. Yeah. So kind of noticing people suffering at different points in their life and then also mm -hmm. that, that kind of helper instinct to, to be there and support them. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. I think it's, I think a lot of people come to therapy, um, having either, either witnessed, um, other people suffer or having suffered themselves, you know, the, the whole wounded healer, um, mm -hmm. experience that's really common with, with therapists, you know, kind of doing their own work as they're trying to help others as well, or, or at least going into, you know, a training program as part of their own journeys. So that's really, really fascinating. You know, pursuing um, psychology as a study, I was just mm -hmm. always interested helping people, yeah. like I said, in my blood, but definitely the wounded healer. Just that journey of religious trauma and that change for myself yeah. helped to kind of nail down my practice. For sure. Right. Yeah, <laughs> for yeah. sure. Had no idea that would happen, but here we are. Yes. Yeah, so, so tell me a little bit about your your own personal experience with uh, leaving religion or transitioning out of out of a faith. Yeah. So I'm from the South and from a long line of preachers in my family. My mom, my dad, my brother, my sister ministered for a while, uncles, aunts, cousins. That's how I grew up. That's what I was surrounded with. And, you know, church was life and it was great. It was fun. Um, the music, my dad was also a musician. So it was, my house was lively. Um, cousins and friends going to church was like a family reunion every Sunday. Oh, wow. Sunday, Wednesday, and Friday. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> we, we were there all the time. Um, so, you know, it wasn't, you know, I didn't leave religion because of some traumatic experience or, you know, some hurt. It was just mm -hmm. my own growth and understanding and questioning that led me to, hmm, maybe this isn't the right fit for me. 
what was it about that? You know, I think some people kind of grow out of their their faith because it's too limiting. Um, it doesn't allow them to be the human they want to be in the world, and it doesn't align with their own personal values. I'm just curious um, what that was like for you when you realized, you know, there's not anything traumatic that's happened inside of this religion, but there's it just doesn't feel like a good fit. Like, did you notice what wasn't a good fit about it? Let's see. It's it's so many examples, but one that comes to mind, um, we were, you know, the the holy rollers that would knock on your door and try to, you know, lead you to Christ. And I'm very interested in people. And I felt like, although I guess our intentions were pure in that we were Christians trying to lead people to Christ, we -hmm. didn't really show any interest in those individuals. It Uh, was... Hi, I'm Sandria. You need Jesus or you're going to hell. Right. Like, how do I know what their true need was? Maybe they are exactly. Jesus and they just needed some <laughs> food or, right. or, or nothing. And I, you know, mm-hmm. I felt like we were very um, arrogant in a way. Mm-hmm. Just to bombard entire communities to say, because you live maybe in the projects or something, because that's what we would, you know, be bussed into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you must meet Jesus. How do you know that? Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember having that experience. Um, you know, going door to door. I didn't do a lot of that as a kid growing up in the church, but I did do some of that. Mm-hmm. And I remember the, the most challenging doors to knock on were, were people who were already religious, yeah. um, even Christian, but they weren't like the right kind of Christian. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so yeah, but that feeling of like I know better than you what you need for your life, and um, and just showing up with that, yeah. uh, such an interesting. You mentioned arrogant. You know, I think again coming from a a well intentioned place, but when you look at it from a distance, you're like, wow, I can't believe, you know, how arrogant it is to assume I know more about a person than they know themselves. Exactly, and and showing no interest in getting to know that person. Yeah. Um. So so then you just kind of realize that this kind of sales pitchy way of being Christian (laughs) wasn't your thing? Were there other kind of um, factors that played into that? Yeah, it was just more questioning, you know, the door-to-door. Why are we doing this without showing interest in people? Mm -hmm. Um, And then it was, I came from a church where the prosperity gospel. So you had to be a person of faith, make sure you're giving your tithes and offering, um, living holy, to be able to get a good job, to get a car, to get married, to, to get mm. healing in your body. Like everything was based on this financial exchange. And that was just another hmm, another reason for me to question, why is that the case? And if, if we truly have the answers, we truly have this power sitting here in our hands in this building, why aren't we changing the world with that? It just right. didn't make sense to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting, the, the things that, as believers, we focused on, you know, um, seem to be very self-serving mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and like, well, if, if you do have all this power or access to this power, then, then surely there are maybe more important things to do with it than, um, you know, find your car keys or Absolutely. get that raise you want or, or whatever. So yeah, uh-huh. so interesting how that works. Mm-hmm. There were tons of opportunities to question why we do what we do and then why that doesn't make sense right. to me. Yeah. Another one would be, another example would be um, 
just studying the Bible exclusively. It's the word mm-hmm. of God. This is where all of our answers to life um, can be found. And it's like, really, no one else knows. There's no other wisdom <laughs> <laughs> in this world. Why can't I read another book? Right. You know, yeah. it, again, just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting to to think that you have all the answers in, in this one one text. Yeah. Super fascinating. What, what was it like to, to to leave then in terms of the uh, the social cost of that or um, the relational cost of that? Um, just the mental health aspect of that as mm-hmm. well. What was your own kind of personal journey um, as you as you left? Was it something you did kind of publicly or something that would just kind of happen gradually over time? And I'm just kind of curious what that experience was like for you. Yeah, 100% gradually. I didn't mm-hmm. set out to leave. I didn't know that's what was happening. Sure. I yeah. just started to question status quo. I started to, you know, talk about the teachings that we were receiving. And, you know, it's funny, I could I could talk through some of the misunderstandings that were, you know, coming across the pulpit to people and mm-hmm. they were people would jump on board. Yep, I'm with you. This is incorrect. This isn't the word of God, da da da. da. But then I would go a little further, well why don't we see what other people are doing or other people are saying, or, you know, there's other, you know, religious beliefs. What are they saying? And that started the whole, hold on, you're going too far. <laughs> we're not saying we're looking yeah. the Bible. Maybe this preacher's off. Maybe there's a, some manipulation going on here, but we're not questioning the entire belief system. And that's right. when the wedge started for me. Mm-hmm. And those relationships with family friends started to change. It's like, you know, Sandra, you're going a little bit too far. Um, and that was very isolating, very painful. Mm. Again, it was family, friends, probably 98% of my friend group were ch- church people. Yeah. Like the how, how it sets you up in some ways, because, you know, you know, it works really well for the group mm-hmm. to keep, people uh, connected that way. And when it works for the individual inside the group, it's great. Um, but when it doesn't work for the individual inside the group and they have to exit, um, it just really shows how challenging and difficult that is when so much of your life is is kind of tied to that belief system, that community, that social support. Um, yeah. So, so that gradually started to shift for you over time as people discovered that you were asking lots of questions and had your doubts or, or how did that how did those relationships kind of change? Yeah, I was part of that group that loved to study the word and get answers. So as long as I was, you know, playing my part, <laughs> things were okay. But mm-hmm. um, I saw levels of friend friend groups leaving. So those mm-hmm. initial questions kind of isolated me from, you know, a couple of friends here and there. And then as I questioned more, then more friends left. So it was, like I said, gradually. And as I became more and more adamant about finding answers and um, again, looking outside of church and finding other resources, it it kind of rippled out. Mm. And then I found myself like at the middle of that ripple going, hold on, that wasn't my intention. Yeah. Come back. I'm still, you know, I'm not demon possessed. I'm, right. uh, I'm still a human being with a heart and I'm, I'm actually kind of in a lot of pain right now because I don't mm, know what's happening. Yeah. Right. 
yeah, it's so hard for believers inside of that system to to understand or reach out or connect with people who are who are you know exiting right mm -hmm. there's this almost this kind of fear that it's going to rub off on me or i'll start asking these questions too or it's going to disrupt my life in the same kind of way mm -hmm. and um and so it's it's really interesting um how how challenging challenging that is for um for people who are still in the church to support a person who's leaving you know because yeah. it almost feels like it's a, a form of rejection um even though it doesn't have to be mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. I remember praying two types of prayers. <laughs> One was, I don't want this. God, if, if I'm if I'm wrong, if something's happening to me, if the devil does have me, please deliver right. me. Like set me free from this. Like I I I, I love God. I was sincere in my my faith and mm -hmm. my worship worship. So please save me. But as I grew and just became a little more I guess willful in finding answers. It became, mm -hmm. you know what? If you're real, then show it. Yeah, it's interesting how many people who um, I'm sure you work with individuals like this as well who've who've left religion and the the stereotype is that you know they've hardened their hearts or they're you know willfully disobeying God or they want to just live in sin. Mm -hmm. uh, but the the actual experience for the majority of the people who I work with um, and and who know people who I know in the post-theist communities um, are people who took it very seriously okay. and tried very hard to make it work. And it was it was the sincerity and the amount of study, the amount of reading, the amount of like trying to make it work that just kind of showed how much it wasn't, you know, a feasible option for, for them. And and so I think it's um, it's good to have these conversations where we um, remind each other that it's okay to um, have gone through a process like that mm -hmm. where you um, weren't trying to actively leave, but it just it happened to you in some ways. Okay. Um, and then also to remind believers that you know this um, this is a really common experience for people who who take um, you know their their religious faith seriously and they ask the big questions. Um, you know it's it's common for people to not have the answers that are satisfactory to them. Mm -hmm. And and to allow those questions again, you know, I, I, that, that prayer changed from save me from this questioning that I have to, you know what, if you're real, then do something about it because, you know, yeah. I was given a brain to think and to question and to be curious. And I'm going to allow that. So how has how has your own kind of personal experience leaving faith um, kind of impacted, influenced, um, informed your your clinical practice? Uh, and um, and maybe you can this is an opportunity to, to uh, share a little bit about you know the the groups that you that you um, focus on in in the kind of areas of of the practice that you're passionate about. Um, like I said earlier, I didn't plan to work with religious trauma. I didn't even know that was a thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but when you leave yourself and you're trying to find resources, you know, who else has been through this? What do we like, what do we do? Right. How do I get help? Like, what's my life like now? And you Google and it was slim pickings. I didn't, I yeah. didn't find many resources. And I thought, man, I know there are others that are experiencing this. And, you know, funny enough, some of those same family and friends that um, kind of became quiet actually came back later, years later, some of them, and yeah, said, you know, sure. I was pushing, but I was really 
you know, making you answer some of the same questions I had. I just didn't have the courage to do that just yet. Um, right. So knowing that there was a community, I just didn't know where to find them. And I, I didn't yeah, know sure. where do we go from here? Like, like what's next? Um, I didn't know religious trauma was a, a thing. <laughs> I didn't know what it was right. called that I was experiencing. You know, we, we kind of look at it and think of maybe some of the larger Mormon sects and, you know, our society accepts that as cultish or, mm-hmm. you know, now that's trauma. But what I was experiencing was, was something different. At least I thought it was. Yeah. So like your own personal experience, um, allowed you to connect with others who are going through a similar experience and, and you realize like how how isolating it really is I, I think that was definitely my experience as well realizing that um you know i found people sharing their stories about their experience yeah. and i think there's a lot of value in that and i think kind of owning your story and sharing that can be healing in and of itself mm-hmm. uh, but then there's also this like and now what and how do i kind of land and and on my feet in a way that I can move forward and and just get on with this one life that I have to live and, and really kind of focusing um, more forward as opposed to focusing on like how I was hurt or how things didn't work for me inside of religion and that kind of proactive moving forward um, towards, you know, health and healing. And, and, and I see so many individuals and so many individuals get stuck there right in this Um, I'm, still processing through this and there's you know that's can be a very natural part of the process but then um how do we move forward what's next um i think those are really really important questions and i and i find that um in my own personal experience unpacking some of those in 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 a in a clinical setting in a therapy setting where a therapist is Mm -hmm. attuned to your experience and and able to support your process give you a context to kind of process through that um so that you don't remain stuck i think it's just it's such a such a gift to give and I'm, I'm really grateful to know that that you're offering that service in the the denver area yeah. uh, to your clients um you know in in this process and we talked about it being gradual i started with a christian counselor <laughs> to kind of help me deal with what i was experiencing um and this person was loving and kind and patient but the answers were always see God, the answers are in Christ. And I thought, mm-hmm. that's not what I mean. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. I went from there to another counselor who happened to be Christian, but was very open in her perspectives. Mm-hmm. And she helped me to, to consider my thinking and mm-hmm. um, some, some different tools around challenging thinking she didn't know how to deal with what I was experiencing specifically, but she kind of led me in in a direction. And so that helped me form um, kind of an approach to help others. And, you know, those things, those friends, Mm -hmm. family, um, as I, you know, began to talk about it more, I would get referrals and I wasn't practicing yet, (laughs) but but I would Mm -hmm. get people coming (laughs) to me going, Hey, Sandra went through this. I think she can help you. Right. And I thought, well, hey, let's just talk it out and figure this thing out together. And I started to piece together some of that CBT and choice theory and, you know, things that would, again, challenge my thinking, um, build mm-hmm. my own 
confidence and self-reliance and establish my own values, just kind of recreate, reestablish who yeah. I was as a human <laughs> being. And gosh, it's an honor to help people do that now in my practice. Yeah. Yeah. I totally, totally you can uh, get what you're saying there that it's, it really is, um, I don't know, sacred might not be the the word, but um, it feels like a, a very sacred thing to to sit with individuals as they discover sometimes for the first time that they have a say over their life. They can decide what's right for them, independent of anyone else's input. Um, such a such an amazing and freeing experience to have. Mm-hmm. And some of those, you know, I think for me, and a lot of times with clients the irrational fears that mm-hmm. um, we fight as we make our <laughs> exodus <laughs> of sorts from um, religious thinking. Um, I, uh, I, thought, I thought I would leave my house and have a car accident. I thought my world would fall apart. I, was, I lived in constant right. <laughs> fear. Um, so again, being able to help people walk through that and go, let's, let's look at your, what you're really afraid of. It's like being afraid of the boogeyman, you know, (laughs) sure. You know, there's, there's, there's a life out here beyond this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not, it's not that the fear isn't real because the, the felt experience of it is, is very real. And our brain doesn't know the difference between, you know, a perceived threat or a real threat, but then helping individuals, I think, normalize that. Like this is a normal experience Mm -hmm. to have uh, for this fear to persist. And how do you want to live your life in the presence of this fear or kind of almost in spite of this fear? Uh, Such a, such a helpful thing to, to understand and to know um, as you move forward through this process. Yeah. Yeah. And, And fears, you know, it's learned. And if everything we mm-hmm. have been taught as, you know, we're taught as believers was to do ABC to get XYZ, otherwise mm-hmm. you're doomed, right. then that's how you're navigating life. And it doesn't matter that right. your belief in your religion has changed or you're beginning to question that fear is still that foundation. So like right. you said, it's it's valid. It's It's a real experience for you. But then we start mm-hmm. to piece together truth and facts and kind of learn about mm-hmm. how right. this fear even developed. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, the the fear is, you know, serves a evolutionary function as well. And so you you can see you, we wouldn't want to be a human without anxiety or without mm-hmm. fear. Um, but then that leaves us with this ongoing challenge of like what things um, do I want to attend to and and really you know, focus on because there is an actual threat and what mm-hmm. things are maybe serve a different function, maybe serve a function of keeping me as part of a group yeah. or, you know, shame and fear often mm-hmm. go together when people leave religion. Um, and these, we start realizing like how this fear is functioning for me as a human. Um, then I can make different choices about that. And uh, yeah, so fascinating. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes you have to do it afraid. Like they, you know, yes. it's, it's, a, it's a real emotion. It's given you know, all of us came with it out of the box <laughs> and mm-hmm. to use it, use that fear, question yeah. it, look at it, give it whole space for it. Sometimes go, let's, let's yeah. talk about this. What is this I'm experiencing? And yeah. like you said, how does it serve me? How does it not serve me? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. What are some of the, the challenges that you, that you see um, clients having as they move through this process? Like what are, what are challenges that, 
tend to be unique to individuals who are who are leaving religion? Um, you know, we talked about the social shift, losing community, mm-hmm. feeling isolated and alone. Um, but I think what I see more often is again, just that confidence and the ability to make decisions for yourself, really finding out, you know, what is it that I value? What do I build, um, my foundation on moving forward and having the courage, Mm -hmm. um, to discover that on their own. And, you know, it's it's not so different when you start to look at Yes, we're talking about this in the space of religious trauma, but it could be a family dynamic, cultural things. You know, mm-hmm. whenever you decide to do something sure. different and, you know, it's not something um, expected or allowed from your community, whatever that community is, we face that same yeah. um, challenge of, whoa. So if I don't want to do that because something's not sitting well with me here, but what does life look like? So it's a unique mm-hmm. challenge, but it's also one that I've found to be the most creative and beautiful. And it's like a child starting over and you get to say, just imagine, yeah. just opening that box of imagination. Um, yeah. It's magnificent. Yeah. I, I think I've described it in a very similar way that, you know, this deconversion process is is both terrifying, but it's also kind of you know, mind expanding, life expanding. It, it's so much potential for change and for growth. And, and, and that's where inside of at least a more fundamentalist religion, um, you're limited to what, what you can, you know, expose yourself to in terms of new information and knowledge and, and, um, interest. And so when you have this opportunity, like it, it can be this just amazing, um, growth and transformation if a person's able to you know get over some of those hurdles or move through some of that trauma so that they can feel safe and connected Mm -hmm. in their own physical experience and then also kind of trusting their own instincts that they can make good choices with their life and they can you know their own personal values are valid and and adequate to um to navigate the world yeah valid and adequate i like that so true yeah yeah, so so that social piece, um, you see that as as being challenging, and then and then also just learning how to trust oneself. Um, l- like, what what's a typical process that a person goes through? If, if say I'm a client and I'm working with you, and I'm like, man, I'm just really stuck because I, you know, I want to get on with my life, but it it just feels like I don't know how to trust myself. I'm always asking people for advice, or I'm always, you know, checking in with my, you know, my online support groups to say like, what should I do? Because it's this, you know, this pattern that I've um, grown up inside of where I, I don't really trust myself. Um, what would a process be like working, kind of moving a client through that where they're learning to trust themselves more? Are there like steps that you would that you're having them take? Is it just processing? I'm just curious what that's like. Probably um, more processing is my approach. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I invite clients to create an experiment and test things out. Mm. Um, You know, if we stay in that space of fear, unchecked, unquestioned, um, unobserved, you know, we get stuck in that place. It's kind of like, you know, right. you're walking with a pebble in your shoe. You're, you're, you're walking along. You're trying to get to that next step. It's like, oh, that pebble in my shoe, which represents 
should I pray right now? Should I ask someone something right now? And, you know, mm-hmm. I'm like, nope, take that shoe off and shake it. <laughs> take <Yeah. laughs> the shoe off, shake it, put it back on and just take another step. Take another step, like take a chance. Um, let's practice mm-hmm. together. Um, I, I consider my approach partnership and coaching so that we can do things yeah. one at a time. It may be as simple as, should I change jobs? And for someone who does mm-hmm. not understand religious trauma, um, the effect of being able to make that kind of decision without prayer and fasting and yeah. consulting your pastor, it's major. It's major. Yeah. And sometimes it's the simple, it's as simple as let's just write the resume. Yeah. You know, if that's all we can do today, then that's all we can do today. Mm-hmm. And then talk about how that felt. Yeah. Right. I, I love that so much. I, I think that mirrors in some ways um, some of my approaches as well. This um, we'll, we'll just imagine that you've done the thing that you're contemplating and maybe try on a couple different things, right? Like what if you did this? You know, what if you tried option A? What if you tried option B? And just kind of really embodying that experience in the present moment, noticing what I'm feeling, what's showing up, what kind of fear is there, what kind of excitement is there. And um and, and I, I think approaching it with that sense of wonder and curiosity, like, what is this experience like for me? What might it be like for me? Um, I think that that undermines the the fear, undermines the anxiety around that because this openness and curiosity, um, it's just hard for fear to live in, in when you're experiencing curiosity and openness. And so I, I love that you're you know, trying things out and that kind of almost mm-hmm. a playful approach of like, well, let's just try it and see what it goes, how it goes and what it's like. Um, such a, such a beautiful thing as opposed to, you know, just approaching it very solemnly and like, this is a major decision. I need to like, you know, pray about it and do all these other things about it, all this mm-hmm. ritual around it so that I make the right decision. Um, it's more like, well, I guess you could try yeah, it and see what that's what like. Happened. You know, I think that's a wonderful mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, in addition to that creativity, it's it's looking at your reserves, meaning let's look at some ways mm. that you have um, branched out on your own in the past. And it may be, Brian, no joke. Sometimes it's the call they mm-hmm. made to come see me. <laughs> yes. It's like, it's, it's like what yep. got you here? How did you get here? How right. did you manage that? Knowing that um, this is outside of that religious belief that you once had because you're seeking something different. Mm -hmm. What gave you the courage to do that? What did that feel like? And to kind of draw on that resource. Okay, let's take that and let's use that for the next step that we want to move into. I think that's so important. When you think of, you know, kind of a trauma-informed approach, um, it's so important that that kind of window of tolerance that we're trying to extend for mm-hmm. for our clients of helping them be able to, you know, tolerate more distress or, you know, have more mm-hmm. resilience and, and and move more freely in, in their life, have a, more of a sense of autonomy and, and power and control. Um, you know, I think that's just so important to, uh, to reinforce that. Um, and I, yeah, I, I just love that approach. Um, you know, giving people tuning into their resources. What have you done before that's worked? And can you notice what that's like to to make a, a really difficult decision to call a, a, a therapist and say, "Hey, I'm re- ready to start this process." Um, you know, kind of building on that sense of of strength and power that comes from you know making a difficult a difficult uh, choice like mm-hmm. that, and getting yeah. in tune with those emotions, fear, excitement, yes. Um, 
loneliness, all of those things, because in that religious experience, at least for me and a lot of um, my clients, those things weren't even allowed. If you feel fear, cast it down. Mm-hmm. If you, if you yeah, feel right. alone, you have Jesus. Like if there's no space to right. feel um, emotions that are, like, again, I said, we came out of the box with it. And we serve a purpose and let's let's right. sit in that space. So sometimes it's not about the next step. Sometimes it's just being in that space and going, what does this feel like to allow it mm-hmm. to happen? Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. So, so it sounds like there's this really beautiful mix of kind of psychoeducational stuff, like understanding the, the function of fear and how it works and why we feel how we feel and really kind of increasing awareness around our emotions. And then it's very practical, like let's try things mm-hmm. out and see how that goes. Um, are there other kind of components to your approach that, that makes it kind of unique or, or that you feel um, is, is unique for um, you know, post-religious individuals or individuals who are, who are going through this transition? Um, you know, something else that I, I do in my practice is, if you can't tell already, I have a very relaxed approach <laughs> for the most part. Um, yes. And I know that often these people that are leaving religion have lost communities, lost, lost family, lost friends. And I like them to feel like I'm a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, I do walk and talk sessions. So sometimes it's let's just move to the park and go for a stroll, getting in mm. nature, feeling the sunshine, yeah. taking a deep breath. You know, and I always say it's just two friends on a walk. Don't worry about it. Let's just enjoy um this space yeah. and you know counseling gives you the opportunity to practice their skills we know that um but our clients may not be aware that they're learning a new skill and, mm-hmm. and sure. developing uh the courage the ability to have different conversations and i'd like to give them space for that yeah i love that that the kind of non-threatening walking um you know, if you've been around teenagers or you need to have a conversation with a teenager, uh-huh. um, oftentimes like sitting across the table from them is like the worst option <laughs> because they kind of shut down. But you're like, hey, let's just go for a walk. Or let's go for a ride or let's do something where we're not we, we don't feel that kind of that that eye to eye threat um, that often happens mm-hmm. when there's a disparity between, you know, um, power and control. Um, so I, I love that, that there's this it sounds like. Um, you're describing this very horizontal relationship where you're not this kind of on a pedestal expert telling the client, like, this is how you're supposed to live your life or this is what you should do, but more like creating this this context where, where they can do their own work. And uh, I just find that I, I think that's maybe one of the biggest misconceptions that I hear about about counseling or therapy is that people think that, you know, therapists are, are you know, first of all, analyzing them and then um, ready to give like advice like their advice giving um kind of practitioners and in in the reality is um i rarely give advice in in a therapy session and i, I almost well I, I guess almost never give advice um that's not not my job not my place um but creating a context where the where the person can you know see things differently understand things differently in a way that they're making choices that work for them yeah and and, and you need that it's empowering. I mean, that's why that's why we're here is to get over this hump, learn some new skills, you know, work right. out some kinks in in, in our psyche and our yeah. relating with ourselves, the world, yeah, for sure, um, others. And I think I'm with you, Brian. I don't give advice either. I don't tell people what to do. And I've you yeah. know I've had clients say, "I'm here because I need you to tell me what to do." 
And it's like, okay, let's say I give you something to do and it, you know, fixes this issue for about five minutes because you know that's how long it's going to last. Mm-hmm. What, what are you going to do when you face this again? Like, let's let's get to yep. a space where, or how do we get to a space where you can solve this on your own? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's such such a beautiful thing to to offer that to, mm-hmm. to clients at context where then there's these aha moments where they they really get it and they feel empowered in that. And I think that's where having all the okay. answers from this external source um, within yeah. a lot of religious context uh, doesn't prepare a person for knowing what it's like to make those decisions on their own. I think you mentioned this earlier in the conversation and and how that's maybe one of the most important um you know, skills to develop in, in a, in a context where uh-huh. there's a supportive other in, in, in a form of a therapist to help you, you know, trust oh, yourself. Absolutely. And the walk and talk as well. You mentioned that earlier, just changing yeah. that dynamic that I'm not the leader. I don't have all the answers. Let's um, walk mm-hmm. this journey together. Um, on uh, Monday, I went on a walk and talk with a client, you know, we're doing our thing and, I can be goofy and I ran into like a swarm of gnats. So then I'm like standing and da 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 da. And again, that's not scripted. That's not in the office. That's not step one, step two. That's complete mm-hmm. silliness. And we just both just yeah. laughed. And it was nothing like sunshine and a yeah. hearty laugh. And that's therapy. Yeah. And people don't know that, but that's therapy. It was pure mm-hmm. joy. And again, we talked about experiencing emotions and um, allowing that, that was an opportunity for that client sure. and me to just be silly and goofy and, and get a really good laugh out of me being silly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's interesting. I, I think um, we often overlook how important um, this is in therapy and then also just in relationships in general, the, 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 kind of biological the human ability to co-regulate mm-hmm. and and so we have this ability to you know our affect how we're experiencing the world our tone of voice the, our facial expressions can can you know upregulate downregulate another human and and so you're describing this experience that um is a chance to share in this moment and the way that you're both experiencing this emotion together and in this way that feels safe and mm-hmm. you know that that social and connected piece that's so important for healing mm-hmm. especially with, with trauma work um I, I think so often we get stuck in our heads about you know there needs to be the right answer or there needs to be you know this thing that you do in order for you to move forward and to heal and sometimes it's just a matter of of, of coming into your body noticing uh, what you're noticing experiencing another person um and and having that that sense of, of connection that mm-hmm. sense of safety that happens inside um you know safe and supportive relationships yeah. absolutely letting things just happen naturally like you said you're learning to um we're healing through connection right however we connect and it's not scripted it just happens and that's yeah the magic of it yeah and i think that just what you said there we're healing through connection um i mean underline that highlight that Uh explanation point it's like that's really we we are such social creatures that we can't 
kind of function on alone, right? Like if we're in isolation, it really messes with our, our brain structures even. It, it really it does a number on us. And so to have these safe and um, supportive connections is so important. And, and also why it's so challenging to leave um, a community where you had you know, those, those types of connections. Um, it's in so important to find those outside of that, outside of that space mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. And, and seeing that as a, I'm going to use the word worship. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Okay. Only because, you know, to go deeper, to connect, you know, you had to leave, even inside the church, you would leave your church community and go into this place of like solitude with God. So it's just you and God mm-hmm. and you're getting all the answers and you're, you know, getting stronger in that space. And, you know, for me, I found that it kind of, not kind of, it warped my thinking because that mm-hmm. was, I was either in solitude with God or I was with my church group and we were still very focused on some plan, some agenda. Again, there wasn't space for a lot of joy and laughter that was even regulated. So then, mm-hmm. you know, getting these opportunities to find a sense of, I won't say worship this time, meditation and connection yeah, sure. with human mm-hmm. beings <laughs> and the depth that you can feel in that space. Yes. My, fr- my friendships, um, the, my love for my daughter, all of those have deepened in a way that I didn't even know it was possible mm-hmm. yeah. because, because the source became, number one, myself. And then number two, just those connections and how important relationship truly, truly is. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I think within, you know, um, various communities and and groups, there are these kind of shared rituals that, um, from an evolutionary standpoint, are are really useful in group cohesion. And it can be helpful in terms of this, you know, this human connection that we're talking about. But then oftentimes they, they just become their own separate thing and they, they, they start losing um, connection with the underlying purpose of human connection. It's more yeah. like, well, this is just what we do. And there, there's kind of like traces of that connection that's left over because of how our brains work um, and the kinds of creatures we are. But um, it's interesting when you become more intentional about connection and and you're really listening to to hear and understand and and how that can be you know so powerful and so moving mm-hmm. yeah yeah and you know i don't want to i won't i don't want anyone to think that that time of meditation isn't still value i'm a yogi i like to meditate mm-hmm. yeah. they're still sure. very very important to me mm-hmm. um but there's a different intent Right. And it's not to disconnect from the world because we're not of the world. We're, you know, mm-hmm. um, from something higher and these things don't matter here. It's like, no, my relationships do matter. This connection do matter. And that meditation time, that yoga time that I have for me, again, is another um, tool in my toolbox to help me connect, um, yeah. feel, grow and really be a part of community. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I've, um, as a therapist and in my own kind of personal life, I've been more and more attuned to um, experiential avoidance, this kind of instinct to move away from unpleasant thoughts, feelings, sensations, right? Like I don't want to be feeling what I'm feeling. And so for me, I, I found um, 
inside of inside of the church, I was very much um, using prayer and other kinds of going to church and doing all these different things were were ways to avoid feeling what I was feeling yeah. or noticing what I was noticing. And and I, I think what you're pointing out is just so so valuable. Like um, this isn't just another way of avoiding your experience. This is a way of really deeply connecting to your experience and being mindful and in the present moment. And I think um, in my experience, uh, that really uh, deepens appreciation and awareness of our interconnectedness and how important it is, how important relationships are, how important time is, the time that we have yeah. with the people we love. And like all that just for me becomes like super heightened when you take away this idea of eternity or, or this idea of you know, living forever. Oh my gosh, you're so right. You in that in that religious frame of mind, at least that I was in, it was you put off so much because heaven was the reward. It's mm-hmm. all to get to right. heaven and you miss the beauty here of nature, of people, of yeah. music, of food. Right. You know, yeah. Of sex, of touch, of like, right. everything. Yeah. All these beautiful all things. that connection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gosh, I'm glad to have that back. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's 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 interesting how how much more meaningful and alive life becomes um, on this side of belief, and and I think, and I want to, I guess, also recognize that it doesn't happen overnight, and a person has to maybe go through a process and do their work to get there. And and I would only want to encourage anyone who's listening to this uh, that it's not. Um, it's not that we're, we're just giving these examples of like how amazing life is after we've gone through this process and, and discounting or dismissing how painful and difficult and challenging it was to get to this point. Um, but it's important to re- realize like how, how worth it, it is yes. uh, to do, to do your work and to go through this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I still have moments. There are things that come up for me um, 10 years later that I didn't see coming. You know, mm-hmm, I, for sure. I, you know, I've done my work, but I'm a human being. I'm still experiencing life. There are things that still, yeah. you know, come up for me that I didn't even see coming, didn't didn't prepare for that one. You know, right. and it, it's a process for us all. And and that's the beauty. Yeah. That's the beauty of not having all of the answers. We get to continue mm-hmm. to evolve and grow and experience. And it's okay. Yeah. And, you know, I think that that process of, of constantly growing and experiencing new things is, is more true to, to reality, right? Like the world we live in, our own kind of physical bodies are, you know, constantly changing, like we're regenerating cells on a regular basis. And we're not the same physical person we were like even seven years ago, because like all of our cells have regenerated. And so that that sense of ongoing process of change is, is such a helpful one to embrace as opposed to this is how it is or how it's supposed to be um, because those kind of rigid ways of seeing the world or experiencing the world um, are, are just opportunities for suffering in, in many cases um, as opposed to you know allowing yourself to experience new things and adjust and change as necessary yeah yeah I'm divorced and I got married deep 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 in the thick of my religious life. And even mm-hmm. the circumstances around that choice, they weren't my own. And no mm-hmm. one put a gun to my head. I wasn't in a religious cult. Yes, I made the decision. But my thinking at that time, mm-hmm. the foundation for why I got married, 
Um, we dated long enough. It was time to get married. This is what you do. It's better to marry than to mm-hmm. burn. Like all of these rules around it. Yeah. Um, I push things further. I push things faster than they should have. I was not ready for that. Mm-hmm. Um, where now I'm able to just navigate and learn and grow and experience people, experience relationship in a completely different way. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, a really common experience. I, I work with, um, you know, a lot of LDS clients here in, in Boise. Um, and it's really common to, to feel like you don't have a choice about marriage. Mm-hmm. Like that's just so expected that you get married at a certain age and you, you know, after you've gone on your mission, you get married and you have kids and this is the life you have. And then, you know, you wake up one day and realize that you haven't decided any of that, but it's just become the life that, that you have because of the, the context that you grew up in mm-hmm. and the, the influences that inform those decisions that you made. And um, yeah, it's, it's a really unfortunate um, realization to have when, you know, you're, you've invested so much of your time in life into something that you may not have chosen had you been, yeah. you know, given more options. Um, yeah. So interesting how that works. It is. And, and I, I remember um, one of my family members and I won't say who it is, but, Blamed my education. This is why you changed. You went mm-hmm. and got an education. I'm like, yes. wow. <laughs> and, but what, that, what yeah. does that say about our community? And, this, and I'm speaking to African Americans, mm-hmm. and I know this is not everyone, but mm-hmm. this was a group mm-hmm. of African Americans that I can speak to that mm-hmm. did not value education. It yeah. was more about just serving God, being good people. So much so that when I decided to get an education, that must be why you don't believe anymore. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, right. how many people are being yeah. held back by that? Thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I hear so many of those stories too, of people who have postponed, you know, a career or an education or a, a life dream, a goal that they had um, because they felt that, you know, to, to serve God in some way was, was more important. Um, and then the amount of regret that one has when they realize that that doesn't pan out for them either. Um, it's just, it's just heartbreaking, uh, to see that for sure. Yeah. I think it affects all of, all of our being, all of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, I, I was born into it. It was life. Right. So I didn't, you know, nothing, like I said, nothing was wrong. I didn't, Mm-hmm. until I right. decided to do something different and then you see all the effects. Yeah. Yeah. I think you learn a lot about a group when you leave. <laughs> That's been my experience. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Part of it is that, that kind of how people treat you as you're leaving. And then, then there's this uh, perspective that one gains from having been inside and, and, and experiencing what that's like. And then, remembering all the, the the caricatures and stereotypes that one had about non-believers and then realizing that I'm the non-believer and I'm maybe being perceived through those same lenses that I used to um, see the world through. And it's, it's just, it's a, it's interesting to, to have that experience. I think um, it's hard for, you know, believing family members and friends to really understand that. Um, but people who have gone through this process have both perspectives. Obviously they don't have, they're believing a family member or friend's exact unique perspective, but we know enough about um, what it's like to be inside of, mm-hmm. of, of that religious way of seeing the world and thinking that, um, that, yeah, we have a sense of what that's like for them where I think it's, it's hard for someone who's maybe believed all their life to have a sense of what it's like to 
be safe and okay and connected outside of that system. And and so it, it becomes just challenging to even imagine that. Oh, yeah. You, you don't even see how it could work. Right. Like I said, 98% yeah. of my community, and I'm, I'm leaving 2% just because I can't think of anyone at the moment, but most <laughs> of my community, we all thought the same, you know, different variations, mm-hmm. but we all thought the same. So it was sure. terrifying to say, yeah. who, who's going to be my friend? Who can I talk to about this stuff? One, that won't think I'm crazy because I used to think I heard voices. Mm-hmm. Like we could go on a list of things <laughs> as it relates to that, but yeah, yeah, just really terrified and alone, and, and couldn't imagine life outside of it. Yeah, and I think that's also why when a person goes through this process and they speak to maybe a secular person who was raised secular, never never were part of a religious community, uh, it's just really hard to explain what that's like. And and for them to understand that, because so often it's like, oh, well, that was never true. So why does it bother you anymore? Or why was that an issue? And um, it's it's really easy to think of it in, through this very cognitive lens um, and, and kind of forgetting that kind of social piece, that kind of physical experience, like what it was like to um, actually to experience religion with your whole with your whole being in some ways and and that doesn't just change because you swap out beliefs you know there's there's a process of of healing from that and and coming back into your own body coming back into a sense of your own autonomy and your ability to make decisions and i think that's where um i think my understanding of trauma um is is that we uh, when we needed to do something to protect ourselves or to you know exercise our own autonomy but we were prohibited from doing that or prevented from doing that, um, that, that sense of, of powerlessness, that sense of, I can't do what needs to be done, um, is, is kind of where trauma lives. And we think about, if we look at people's religious experiences through that, that lens of, of like how maybe we wanted to do something, but we're prohibited from doing that, or we're told we had to do something that we weren't ready to do, or wasn't good for us to do, um, but we felt the pressure we had to do that. Um, you, you start to lose a sense of your own your own being. Like I, I can freely choose what's right for me and I have to defer that to someone else or something else. And, and you think about that extended over a period of time, then you end up with, you know, this complex trauma, you know, frankly, this um, sense that I don't have my own, um, my own autonomy, I, I don't have my own power, my own ability to make choices for myself. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you can do the start and then go back, start and go back. <laughs> That's what I did. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I must be off. I must be wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I gotta, I gotta go right. back. And it's, it's again, you're, you're kind of frozen in trauma. Yeah. Yeah, we think about you know um, that that kind of freeze response. You know, where most people are familiar with the uh, the fight or flight. You know, the kind of fleeing or running or 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 you know fighting off. Um, but then there's that that kind of last resort. You know, biological response that mammals have, where we just kind of freeze and collapse, mm-hmm. and it's it's that kind of powerless place. It's protective. It serves an evolutionary function, um, but it's also um, really can be very traumatizing. And you think about how 
it's not that a person is being held down against their will inside of religion, um, but there's this kind of underlying sense of like, you're not your own person. We have the answers for yeah. you. You're going to do it wrong. <laughs> you know, this, all this kind of undermining this kind of this, this subtle pressure that holds a person down and, and you don't realize the, the overall effect of that until you wake up one day and you realize like, I've never felt like my own person. Yeah. I never felt safe. I never felt like I, my, my voice on its own was valid. Um, and, and I think that's where we start looking at, um, you know, this through a, a trauma informed lens, then we start seeing how these systems and structures can be, you know, quite mm -hmm. harmful. You know, I, you talk about the freezing, I contemplated pretending I could just stay here. I know all the moves, yes. I know all the songs, I know the scripture, no one would yep. know any difference. I don't have to do this. I could just stay here. Um, mm -hmm. But I still allow myself to have experiences. So little by little, I gained mm -hmm. the confidence to, to step out a little bit more, little yeah. by little. And then it just became... I finally got to a place where I said, this is, this is not living. I will not lie. Mm -hmm. There's anything I've learned. <laughs> the value of being honest, you know, not just yeah. being honest so you don't you know, go to hell, but being honest about who you mm -hmm. are. And that became more important right. to me than what anyone else thought about me, um, of any fear that I had to face. I just thought I get one shot at this life and I wanted to be an honest mm -hmm. one. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. That's amazing. I, you know, as you were describing that kind of slowly moving out and, and, and kind of gaining a sense of, of control, um, and, and trust in yourself, I think it's important to, to talk about that, to remind people that moving through this process might not, you might not think it's going to be traumatic when you're going through that first, but then you get into the thick of it and you're like, wow, this is really challenging on so many different levels. And, and to give yourself permission to to not do more than you're capable of this, you know, making sure you have the resources you need before you take that next step. And um, otherwise you risk, you know, kind of re-traumatizing yourself. And so I think um, it, it's just so important to keep that in mind that there's no need to do this mm -hmm. all at once. Or it may not even be, you know, it's probably not even helpful to do it all at once. But moving through this process in a way that you start to slowly regain more and more of your, you know, sense of autonomy and control and power, and then also, um, you know, develop more and more resources so that you can take those next steps and those next steps. Uh, I think that's, we think about treating trauma like there's, um, it's easy to re-traumatize a person by going too fast and, and kind of titrating that where a person, um, you know, moves a little bit further and, and feels the discomfort of that, but then it comes back to a place of resources and moves yeah. a little bit further. And over time that, that certainly opens up their life and, you know, um, that window of tolerance is, is, is open wider. Absolutely. Be patient with yourself, be kind to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And actually that brings us to uh, the point of our conversation where I really wanted to ask you, what are some of those things you would like to say to a person who's going through this process? Um, whether it's, you know, a, a skill or um, a practice that you'd recommend or, or simply those affirmations that you were just sharing, you know, be kind to yourself, take it easy, go slow. Um, I'm just curious, um, kind of from a mental health perspective, uh, what are some kind of messages you would like people to to take from this conversation? I always go back to 
and and this is really related to my personal experience because I was born into it is to allow yourself to be like a child Mm. again to create to experience to run as fast as you can and fall (laughs) yeah allow the bloody knees um Mm. just again be patient be patient be kind to yourself you're growing you're learning you're you're literally learning to walk all over again you're literally learning um to read to write and and that's true because it's it's it can be a simple word. I just had a conversation with a friend last week about fasting. <laughs> and we mm. talked about the, the health benefits of intermittent fasting. And he goes, no, no, no. Fasting just takes me back to that first stuff. And it's like, yeah. wow, like that's real. We have to really look yeah. at definitions of words. Like it's, you're really starting over. Mm-hmm. And again, be patient, be kind. Be patient, be kind with yourself. Yeah, I think that that self-compassion piece, that kindness that you're referring to is just, I mean, it's so important for mental health in general, but I think especially going through this process where it, there's so often a lot of kind of self-doubt or questioning or, you know, pressure from external sources about, you know, your choices are evil or bad or not, you know, not how you're supposed to live your life. There's just so much pressure there and, and opportunities for judgment and, and harsh and critical words and thoughts about oneself. Um, to to offer yourself kindness and compassion is just so vital. Yeah, yeah. I, I love the um, the idea of being like a, a child as well. I think uh, for me, so much of of mental wellness is curiosity and openness and that sense of wonder and exploring the world, um, which is quite the opposite of having all the answers and having things figured out and very rigid and black and white. Um, ways of seeing the world. And, and I think that's um, a beautiful thing to recover um, through this process, that sense of wonder and and trying new things and, and being, you know, kind of patient and kind with oneself. Yeah. It's yeah. funny. I, I have, you know, I have a daughter and she'll be three this summer mm-hmm. and yay. <laughs> and I'm always so excited to hear what she thinks, to hear what yes. she wants. To hear what she doesn't want. Yeah. It's it's like I couldn't wait for her to say words and now she has them. And I'm so yeah. excited. Do you want a grilled cheese? Mm. No, mama. You know, I want noodles. Like it's and I respect that mm-hmm. decision, respect that choice. So we we wanna see that in kids. And then we become adults right. and now we're stuffed into these boxes of who we should be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I think as you're saying that, I'm I'm reminded of um, you know, raising my own two boys as well, this, um, that sense of wonder and excitement and, and not wanting to, you know, say no all the time, yeah. right? Yeah. But to say yes, most of the time, and this yes, and yeah. yes, I understand you want this. And here's this other option. Um, but but really, that sense of choice and, 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 and options. And, and, and I know that, I think, in general, we um, are born a bit more open to the world and we're taking in more experiences. And then as we develop language and categories and labels, we start to kind of become more narrow and rigid as we, as we get older. But I I think um, what you're describing about how you're treating your daughter. And as I'm thinking about how I'm raising my, my boys as well, I I didn't have that when I was growing up in in the church. Yeah. Yeah. I was put in a box like from day one, like you're sinful and desperately wicked. Right. You know, and, and like, yeah. And so that becomes, yeah, it's so interesting how I think that natural exploring and wonder and questioning, right? My um, 
my five-year-old um, came home the the other week from from school and was was talking about you know God and Jesus and he doesn't go to religious school or anything so I was kind of curious about that conversation he's like oh yeah like God made the God made the sun and Jesus made the moon. I'm like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> and uh, we're just kind of talking about it and exploring that. And it wasn't like I needed to tell him he was right or wrong. We're just like, oh, in- that's interesting. Like, tell me yeah. more. Yeah. And um, he's like, oh, yeah, God and Jesus, they both died. And they they got buried next to each other in the cemetery. I'm like, okay, like, it's super fascinating. I didn't know this story, right? And, um, and, and to realize I didn't have to correct him or change that. I was just like, this is a little boy who has an imagination is talking to some friends at school about, about God, I guess. Um, but yeah, to, to see that as an opportunity to explore and be curious as opposed to a threat or something that needs to be changed or challenged. Absolutely. We just learned about Hanukkah, not just a few months ago, but it was the book she picked out at the bookstore. And, you know, the old religious mind would have been like, no, need a good Mm, book about Jesus. And I thought, okay, let's read it. Let's find out what this story is. It's just, Leaving fear and and just allowing exploration, mm, leaving fear yeah. and allowing exploration, and watching it through the eyes of my kid. Oh uh, wow. yeah! Wow! Yeah, it's re- really a beautiful thing. It, it it really is. I um, yeah, I think that's been a real gift to to see that through non-religious kids that I'm raising, you know, that, that mm-hmm. sense of wonder and, yeah. and seeing the world and questioning. And, and um, yeah, it's super, super, super great. Awesome. Well, I, I know our, our time's up today and, and I just want to really thank you for, for taking the time to have this conversation. Um, I think it's really important to, um, to talk about these issues from a mental health standpoint and, and how we can learn more about our experience. And, and hopefully this will be valuable to, to those who are listening. Um, I want you to know that I just really, really appreciate the work that you're doing too. And um, thank you for what you're putting out in the world and, and um, your voice is important and want to magnify that, amplify yeah. that. I hope people will reach out to you. Um, yeah. I just really, really am grateful to, um, to, to have you in my life and, you know, what you're sharing online has is, is been super encouraging and helpful for me as well. Oh, Brian, we talked about connection and I'll cry at the yeah. drop of my hat. Okay. <laughs> I appreciate you too so much. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. thankful that we connected and we, we instantly yeah. hit it off. We're like strange. Yes, I know. Yeah. <laughs> together in this path now. And sure. it's, it's amazing. So thank you for this opportunity. I enjoy all of our conversations. Yeah. But yeah for sure pretty cool thank you yeah so so if people do want to reach out to you i'll include some links in the in the show notes as well but um like is there a website or something not everyone goes to the show notes as it turns out so if you have a a website or a place where people can contact you that you can share now that would be super great mychoicemypower.com mychoicemypower instagram facebook mychoicemypower.com Nice. My choice, my power. I love it. Such a great, such a great practice name. Awesome. Great. Well, thanks again. Um, It's been just a delight to talk to you today and uh, I look forward to catching up with you soon. Awesome. Thank you, Brian. I'm so glad you joined us today for this special edition of the podcast. If you found this episode helpful, I would love to hear from you. I have several conversations lined up with other mental health professionals who work with religious trauma or specialize in post-religious mental health. Let me know what topics you would like us to explore 
and be sure to share the podcast with those who would benefit from this content. You can follow Life After God on social media to stay in the loop and discover new resources like the live panel discussion we will be hosting on June 28th about facing grief and loss after God. You can find more information at lifeaftergod.org. Thanks again for being part of the Life After God community.